The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I ask that you continue to pray for me. Uh, this morning was one of those mornings. I'm sure that you all could probably relate to this. But on the, on the drive into church this morning, I felt, so, I felt so unworthy to come and worship that it, it almost felt like it would be a whole lot more comfortable if we just didn't come. You know, and of course that's that's like being too sick to go to the hospital. You know, that's that's kind of foolish. You know, uh, so I'm glad we're here, but nonetheless, we're we're all unworthy to worship our God. Uh, but praise praise God that He has made us worthy, uh, and through His blood. So here we are. Um, if you would turn with me over to John chapter one. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about a few instances in Scripture where uh, we, have, we have something that occurs underneath the tree. And we'll start here with one that's, that's a pretty obvious one in John 1 and verse, around verse 45. Uh, I've mentioned this several times before. I've mentioned this, I think, pretty recently even, this, this uh, event. But John 1 and verse 45, I'll begin there. Philip, he goes, he, he findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. This is, this is somebody who says what they're thinking. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And notice how Nathanael went from, from being uh, doubting even uh, to being very critical and, and saying, you know, no good thing can come out of Nazareth, right? But he goes from, from that statement to saying this. He answered, saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. That is, up to this point in the ministry of Christ, that is probably the clearest statement of, of, of this person, this person here, Jesus, being the Son of God, the Messiah come, Okay. He went, from, he went from being critical and cynical uh, to, being, uh, to stating this beautiful statement of faith. So what was it that he was doing under the tree? So many people speculate about that. We're not going to do that here. But here, here's what we do know, okay? We do know that, that it would have been something that Nathaniel would have remembered, okay? Because Jesus said unto him, before that Philip got to you, before he called you, I saw you underneath the fig tree. Now, what I want us to get from that for the purposes of this morning is, is the fact that God sees you where you are. Th this may have been a low point in, in Nathaniel's life. It may have been a high point. I don't know. But God sees you where you are, okay? He sees you underneath the fig tree. Now, let's go over to Genesis 18. I'm going to show you another account. 
Genesis chapter 18. And each one of these, I think we can learn something, um, some lessons from all these, all these events. Genesis 18 and verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him, unto Abraham, in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Abraham knows who this is, okay? Here, here's something that we can learn from this already. When the Lord's in the matter... You don't really have to ask yourself, is the Lord in the matter? Okay. When you see the Lord, you know who he is. Okay. Uh, of course, we know, we know that the Lord is here because he says in verse 1 that the Lord appeared unto him. And then you've got these three angels, which I, or three uh, people, which I believe is the Trinity there, come to visit his servant. And so Abraham goes and... and uh, he saw them, he ran to them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Now what's happening here is that the Lord has come down to visit his servant. Now, I have felt that this morning. I have felt the Lord come down to visit with us a little bit this morning. and I certainly need it and he does it from time to time but I want you to I want us to, to notice what Abraham does in here and we can learn some more things about this little this little picnic that Abraham has with with God underneath this tree in the shade of the tree uh, verse 6 and Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes unto, un, upon the hearth. And Abraham ran under the herd, upon the herd, and fetched a calf tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk, uh, and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Man, what a, this beautiful picnic, as I said that Abraham has with God underneath this tree. And notice this, Abraham is an older man. He's a wealthy man. But when it comes to serving God and worshiping God, what does he do? He goes himself. He goes and he, he gets the, the meal uh, starting to prepare. He goes out to, to the herd himself. He picks out the calf that they're going to eat. And then he brings it back and helps to have it prepared what can we learn from that? In, in your worship to God, you can't delegate it to another, okay? In your worship to God, God expects you individually to give of your time, to give of, of, your, of your finances, whatever it is that the Lord requires of you. Now, yes, God could have just made a meal there. We know that. He's, he's done that before in, in Scripture. We've seen it. You know, when we bring our offerings to God, our, our tithes, whatever you call it, you know, God doesn't need it. He doesn't need your money. God, God has all the resources in the world. Why do we do it then? Because we can't delegate our worship. Amen. Because we, as His children, 
knowing all the love that He has for us and all the things that He's done for us and these provisions that He's given us, it is good for us. It is good for us to, to keep in a humble spirit by giving it back to Him. Okay? It's not that, it's not that the Lord needs any more money. Um, it's that you need to give it. And it's a form of worship to do so. And so he doesn't delegate it. He gets to work himself as an older man. He, he, could have, he could have asked any number of people. I don't know, if he had a chef, he might have had somebody that normally prepared a meal and just said, go and prepare the best meal you've got. No, he had a hand in it directly. And of course, what did, what did they do? The Lord came and he wanted to uh, reassure him of the promise um, that, that Sarah would bear a child even though she was, uh, she was unable to, that the way of woman had ceased from her. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? I love, I love that as Sarah was listening from inside the tent, that she, she chuckled that, you know, there's just no way I'm going to have a child. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Man, I'm telling you, that the Lord really can cut to the chase, can he? And I, I love that, that it says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Um, I'll get personal here. You, you all know that Meredith and I are trying to have a child, right? It is such a comfort for me in reading passages like this uh, as we get discouraged about it. It says, is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, in your life, think about whatever the largest obstacle you have in your life. Is it too hard for the Lord to overcome it? No. No, it's not. All right, let's go over to another one, 1 Kings 13. And you might want to uh, get your popcorn out for this one. This was a wild one, okay? 1 Kings chapter 13. This is not one that we often hear about. There's a man of God that the Lord raised up. We're never given his name. He has, he has one brief moment of fame, if you will, <laughs> where he serves the Lord and then he's disobedient. But I want us to go through this because I think it's, we can learn maybe some other lessons from this. So, so far we've learned that God sees you where you are. We've also learned that you can't delegate your worship to another. Here, we're going to learn about the consequences of disobedience. All right, 1 Kings 13. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense, and he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall, be, shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. 
And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the men of God, of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand which he put forth against him dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. Like as I said, this is this is a wild one, okay? So the Lord raises up this man of God to to prophesy, to preach against this altar that this wicked king was offering a worship to other gods on. And he says that this, this altar is going to be broken and the ashes of it are going to spill out. And then this wicked king says, lay hold on this man. And of course, you know, he's not, he's not trying to lay hold on this man to give him a clap on the back, you know. This is, this, he's trying to kill him, okay? But the Lord causes this man's hand to dry up so that he can't even pull his hand back in. I'm sure that, that would have been traumatizing to see that, much less to have that happen to you. And then the altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. You know, how, how easy is it to be seeking out, the, seeking out God, seeking out his blessings, when you've got a problem in your life, right? I'm telling you, man, when things are going good, my prayer life seems to, to dwindle. But when things get a little shaky again, I mean, it's like it revives. It, it comes back. Well, this wicked man, this wicked king, says, Pray to God that my hand will be healed. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. Does that sound a little suspicious to anybody else? And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat drink, eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. All right, so what is going on here? The Lord, when he raised up this man of God, he instructed him with some specific instructions. Now, why? I don't know. Some, you know, sometimes the Lord may lead you in, in a way in life, and, and you may say, well, why? You know, why does the Lord do the things that he does? I don't know. I don't know. There, there's no answer given why the Lord instructed him not to eat bread, not to drink water, and to come back home a different way than he went. I, that doesn't make any sense, okay? But God doesn't have to give you his reasons, okay? God is God. We would do well to remember that. And I preach to myself when I say that. But nonetheless, God, that was his instruction. And so he, he, he turned down the king. And so then he's on his way back home. Uh, in verse 11, this is when he gets really wild. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, 
what way went he? For his sons had seen uh, what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. All right, so this is where you've got to, I want you to put yourself in, in the position of this man of God that God raised up, and you were instructed specifically by God, don't eat any bread, don't drink any drink, and return home a different way than, where you, than the way that you went. And now you've got this prophet that comes to you, and he says, I want you to come to my house and eat bread with me and drink with me, right? Can you, is that a little confusing to you that, that God t tells you specifically and then you've got another man of God that, that, is, that is coming to you with a different message? Well, remember this, you know, Paul even said this, even if an angel of light, even if an angel from heaven came and spoke a different gospel, you, you know, you don't buy it. The gospel has been delivered by God, okay? This is another thing we can learn about, about following God's uh, guidance. For one, you know when it's God's guidance. Okay, we saw that from Abraham when he, when he saw God. If there's anything that conflicts with that, you have to disregard it. Okay? You stay true to God. When it comes down to it, you know, your relationships with others, your, your relationship even with uh, you know, with, with family, whatever it is, your relationship with God has to trump all of those. Your pursuit of God is a very personal and intimate thing. You follow God no matter the cost, okay? And so what happened? You have this other, this, this prophet comes, and then the man of God explains to him that he can't go, he can't eat bread or drink water. He's got he's to return home a different way. Well, why is he sitting underneath the oak tree? Okay, think about this. If you, if you, were, if you drove somewhere far away, you know, this is, uh, Meredith and I do this often when we're visiting a church, okay? If we're going to come back home, but we have specific instructions not to eat or to drink until we get back home, you better believe I am not going to stop until I get back home because Brother Chris and Brother Dalton know what happens when I don't eat, right? It might end up in the emergency room, right? <laughs> okay, so I know myself. I know I am not going to be stopping. Why is he stopping and resting underneath this oak tree? He's going to get hungry there. He's going to get thirsty there. You get what I'm saying? He is, he is inviting temptation. He's inviting opportunity to be disobedient by stopping there underneath the oak tree. Okay? So then this, this other prophet said unto him, I'm a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that we may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. Now, so many people could read this verse and get confused about what's happening here. I don't know why he lied to him. 
Here's what, I, here's what we do know from Scripture, is that it's not God doing this. God doesn't tempt any man, okay? So many times I think we, we think that God gives us these temptations to see if, we will, if we'll follow him or not. No, God doesn't tempt you, okay? Now something I think we will look at is that God does give you opportunities to serve him, but it's, it doesn't look like this, okay? I don't know why this man of God lied. But he did, and so then that man said, well, I guess if an angel appeared to him, then I, I need to go with him. But remember, God had given him specific instructions, okay? You've got to be true to what God instructs you. And so he went and ate there, and then as they're eating, this, this prophet who brought him to his house, he gets the word of the Lord that comes to him, and then he says, because you were disobedient in doing this, your carcass is going to fall in the wilderness. And so this, this disobedient man of God, he saddles up and he goes home and then a lion meets him in the way and, and kills him. Look, there are consequences for disobedience, okay? Praise God that the blood of Christ is sufficient for your disobedience, okay? It's sufficient to cover for all of your sins. But just because you're going to be in heaven, doesn't mean that here in this life there are not consequences for, for your sins, okay? If, if you are sitting there underneath the oak tree of disobedience, if you are inviting temptation by, by the position that you've put yourself in, and then you take the wrong path, there are consequences for that. Now, it would have been a whole lot easier it would have been a whole lot easier for that man to just not stop, to just go home, to, to walk all the way until he got back home, okay? Because when it comes down to it, and he's sitting there under the oak tree, and you know maybe if you've been walking for a while, and then you sit, and you, you, you sit down for a little bit, you start to get a little stove up, and it's kind of hard to keep moving, you know? And then you start getting hungrier and thirstier, you know? And then when that temptation comes, you're in no position to face it at that point. Okay? Think about what position you're putting yourself in. Are you making yourself more vulnerable to temptations? Because when it really comes down to it, you are weak. Okay? You're weak. We like to think that we can withstand temptation, but when it really comes down to it, it's just better if we just put ourselves in a situation that temptation is not going to come, okay? All right, let's go over to 1 Kings 19, and we're going to move along here. First Kings 19, and look at, we'll look at verse uh, 4. Of course, you know this. This is Elijah. Elijah had just been delivered by God on, on Mount Carmel. I mean, can you imagine experiencing what he experienced? I mean, we have all, we have all seen the hand of God in our lives and, and his deliverance and the ways that he has worked. But can you imagine being up there, facing off against the entire... It would be like us facing off against our culture single-handedly, right? And then fire from heaven comes down and consumes the altar. I mean, man, that is amazing. You would think that somebody like that would never waver again. But then he gets one 
one word spoken against him that's negative, and he loses it, right? I mean, I see myself in that. How many times have I seen the Lord deliver me, and then one negative thing can just bring me back down? And so he goes, uh, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I'm not better than my father's. Oh boy. To have gone from the mountaintop to sitting underneath this juniper tree, this juniper tree of discouragement, right? As you sit there and as you're despairing of your own life, I mean, have you ever been there? You know, I know that we often get accused of being suicidal because we, we are so excited about going home. But have you ever been there where you have been in such a, a terrible situation that you have thought, man, the, the release of death would be so sweet. To, to just be with the Lord, that would be great. That's, that's where he is at this point. And then he lays down and he sleeps underneath this juniper tree. And, and what happens? An angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And there was this meal prepared for him. And he says, Eat for, for the journey is long and you, you need strength. You know, God was there. You know, even in the midst of his discouragement, sitting underneath this juniper tree, God was there. He saw him. He provided for his needs. All right, let's go over to Jonah, chapter 4. The book of Jonah. And bless his heart. Jonah. He's got to be the most difficult person you see in Scripture. I mean, you think some of the, some of the sons of Belial mentioned in Scripture are difficult people. Then you come and you, and you see a man of God be just as, as difficult as you possibly can be. This is Jonah. You know, the Lord says unto him, I want you to go to this city of Nineveh and I want you to preach the word. And he says, I don't want to do it. And so then he, he goes the opposite direction. Well, God, God has a way, you know. He, he can get what he wants out of you. Uh, you know, Jonah, in even trying to be disobedient and rebellious, God still got him there. And yet we think when it comes to our our new birth and life that 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 God is just going to knock on the door and then he's just going to go away if you don't answer right no 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 look at Jonah right God gets what he wants period when he comes to you in the new birth he gives you life he doesn't just knock and tap on the door he's the SWAT team he, he busts the door down he comes and he takes you hostage okay so then, God gets Jonah there, and then Jonah preaches. Even reluctantly, he preaches, right? This shows you the power of God. I, this is, I, I've drawn a lot of comfort from this, because in, in mornings like this, when I get up knowing that I'm, I'm going to preach that day, or I hope to preach, and then 
you know, I'm discouraged because I know I'm, I have failed in so many ways that, that I'm not adequate, I'm not worthy to stand before God's people, all these things. But then I just remember Jonah, right? The Lord blessed uh, Jonah to preach, even though Jonah didn't want to, okay? And so he preaches, and then lo and behold, the whole city repents. That would be like America. As, as wicked as America has become, it'd be like America saying, look, we are sorry for all the things we've done wrong. We want to serve God. We want to come back. And that would be like us then getting bitter about that. Because yeah. uh, that's what he does. That's what Jonah does. He goes up there, and he is just mad. Verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thou the evil. Man. This is, this is so weird. This is so weird. You see, Jonah knows that God is merciful and gracious. And that's the whole reason he said he fled in the first place. He didn't want to see this wicked city repent. Because he knew if they repented, God would be merciful to them. Child of God, let us not be so bitter that, that we have this attitude toward our nation. Okay? We ought to be desiring with our heart's desire that the people of God in this nation would repent. And if they do, let's be happy about it, okay? All right, so then Jonah's there. He says, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? I tell you, the Lord gets right to the matter. He went out of the city, and he sat there on the hill. He was just going to sit on the hill and see what would happen, would happen to this city. He knew they were just it was a fake repentance or something. He was just going to watch it happen. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. Man. So here we have Jonah underneath this gourd. Lord gives him some shade. And so Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But notice this. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. I mean, he's, he's bipolar. He goes from being just, just bitter and disdainful underneath this, this gourd of disdain, you know. And then the Lord gives him a, just a little gourd for shade, and then he is just happy as he can be. And then the Lord takes it away from him, and then he's, he is just, it's better for me to die. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry. Look at this disdain, this open disdain in front of the face of God. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons, 
They cannot discern between their right hand and their, uh, and their left hand. And also much cattle. This, this shows us the heart of your God. You know, we get so focused on the things that help us, like Jonah did with this gourd. And he says, why are you so upset about this gourd? This is not something you labored over. But yet, when it comes to the city of these people, you're upset that I have given them repentance. Let's not be under the, the uh, gourd of disdain. Let's go to Song of Solomon, and I'm, I'm going to try to wrap this up pretty quickly. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. And I know that we know this, but as we read this, I, I want us to be thinking in these terms. This, this, is a, a, uh, this is a book of the Bible that some people are uncomfortable with. We know this as a love letter. This is a, this is a, a book of, of love stories. And we know that our God, for whatever reason, because it pleased Him, He looks at us as His bride. Okay? So what we see here, as you read this, I want you to be envisioning yourself as the bride of Christ, the church, and, and God speaking unto you in love, okay? Because that's what this is here for. It says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. It amazes me. It amazes me all the time, but especially on days like today when I, as I said, when we were driving here, I, I just thought it might be easier if I just didn't come. It amazes me that God would take somebody like me a, a, a beggar, broken, that he would bring me, the, the king of all things, he would bring me into his banqueting house to this great celebration, that he would sit me down underneath his apple tree. You know? Now, the, the image that we get here of, this, of the apple tree is of romance. And I know that may make some of us men uncomfortable, but let me tell you this, our love for the Lord, we ought to remember this, that our, our desire for the Lord ought to be romantic, okay? We need to pursue Him. We need to be pursuing Him, falling deeper and deeper in love with our Savior every day. Are you sitting underneath the apple tree in pursuit of of your love for Christ. Because I know that I'm, I'm not there very often. And my love for Him begins to, to wax cold. Child of God, I want you to keep this in mind this week. Keep this in mind as you go through uh, the days ahead. I want you to be pursuing Christ this week. Okay? And I say this week because I want to give you some tangible goals to be looking for. Okay? I want to see 
if by next Sunday you are deeper in love with Christ than you were today. Okay? Now, when I was, when I was pursuing my wife, what, what did I do? What did I do to, to woo her and to convince her that I was somehow in her league, right? <laughs> I spent time with her. I, I called her, you know? And, you know, I, I investigated her a little bit, you know? I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it, but, you know, I would, I would look at her on Facebook, right? I, I stalked her on Facebook. <laughs> I wanted to get to know her, right? This, this week, I want you to be pursuing Christ. Stalk Him through, his, through the Scriptures, right? Read about him. Read the love letters that he's written to you. And you can talk to him. You, you can talk to him all the time you want to in your prayers. Pursue him. Okay? Sit down underneath the apple tree. Of all, of all the trees and the things that we've talked about, this is the greatest one to sit underneath, or one of the greatest. It's definitely better than, than the oak tree of disobedience and the, the gourd of disdain, Right? The, the apple tree of romance. All right, a few, a few that I'm just going to wrap up with. We've got about five minutes, so let's go. Uh, I won't even ask you to turn there. We'll go to the New Testament. We've got Zacchaeus. We all know, I, I think I use this so much. It's, it's probably one of my favorite images that I go back to. Jesus and Zacchaeus. Well, Zacchaeus is sitting there un underneath that sycamore tree, and he, he knows that Jesus is coming. He knows that he's not going to be able to see him because he's a short man. And what does he do? He, he, he does whatever it takes to see Jesus. And this goes hand in hand with, with what your, your task is this week of pursuing Christ. Do whatever it takes, okay? If it takes you climbing a sycamore tree like a little child, then do it, right? When we were uh, at, at Jessica and Tyler's wedding, I, I noticed this when the dancing was beginning. There, there was the, uh, the Gregory girl, the little girl. She was dancing. She was dancing with all her heart right out there on the, on the dance floor. Nobody else had started dancing yet. You know why? Because we were kind of, you know, we were all wait, it was in, we were embarrassed. We were waiting for the right time. You know, you have to have a certain number of people out there so that you can kind of blend in, you know. She was not embarrassed at all. And I, I love that. That's why Jesus says that if you're going to seek him, you need to come into the kingdom as a little child. You don't need to be embarrassed to be seeking out Jesus. And so Zacchaeus, like a child, he climbs a tree to see Jesus. You don't have to be childish in your pursuit. Just childish in your shame and in your and your self-worth in seeking Him. But I want us to remember this, that Zacchaeus is there, and yes, he looks for any option that he's got to see the Lord. Well, I want you to remember this. Before Zacchaeus was even there, before Zacchaeus was even born, God planted that sycamore tree. Okay? But remember that. That tree, in order, in order for it to be uh, large enough for a grown man to climb up, it would, have, it would have been old, right? It would have been older than Zacchaeus. 
All of these, all of these trees that you see out there in, in the world, I mean, it, it just blows my mind to think that those are living things. I'm not like a, I'm not like a tree hugger or anything, you know. But it is, it is a beautiful thing that God has, has created these things. I'm telling you, man, when we went to Sequoia, and you see those trees that are thousands of years old, it, it is, it is mind-boggling. And I just want to sit there and just place my hand on something that was alive when Jesus was walking on this earth. That's amazing. It's just like you, you almost just feel like you can just get some history imparted upon you when you touch it, you know? Well, God was there, and he planted that, he planted that tree, that sycamore tree for Zacchaeus to climb in. And then we come to Jesus there in the garden as he's underneath those trees. Now, this is very different than all of these other places that you've seen, all these other trees. God was there with them. Okay, even, even for Jonah, even for Jonah and his disobedience and his disdain, God was there with him. But then when, when God himself comes, he comes for us, and he's underneath this garden that he had planted, underneath these trees, he, he, he doesn't have any help like he has help for you. And what about that tree? What about that tree that he planted? Perhaps even years before he came to this world. That tree that he would be nailed to. That tree that he would be crucified on for you. You know, I thought about that as, as Jesus was walking on this earth. You know, I wondered if he passed that tree and knew it, you know, knew that he, that would be the tree he'd be hung on. Uh, I, I know he knew, he, he knows all things, so. But then as he sits there and as he is crucified on the cross for us, let's go to Mark 15 and, and we'll close with this. This is our last, last place and we have no time left, so. Mark 15 and verse 33 As, as our Savior hung upon the tree for, for your crimes, and he, and he cried out with a loud voice, and he gave up the ghost, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. There's no more separation between us and God. Praise God that the Holy of Holies is no longer excluded from us, that we have access through the blood of Christ. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost and said, Truly this man was the Son of God. This is somebody who crucified our Savior, who was not only complicit in it, but perhaps was in charge of it. And as he sits down there underneath the tree of the cross, and he sees his Savior Man, can you imagine that? I mean, we, we, we speculate about what it would be like to be that thief on the cross, li living a life of disobedience and then being born again there on, on the cross. I mean, that really would be something to, to have that hope uh, given to you there in your last moments. Well, can you imagine being the person who crucified him and seeing as he breathes out his last, I believe the Lord gave him uh, a, a new life. 
Because I think it would have been I think it would have been pretty difficult for this man to have led this crucifixion if he believed that this was the Son of God. But suddenly he does. Can you imagine what that would have been like? To have, to have seen the rich blood, the, the, the startling image of being at that man's feet, that man that you just crucified and knowing that is the man who has paid for my crimes, for my sins. Look, child of God, I want to encourage you. I know we've already talked about this week. This is going to be a big week for y'all, okay? So as you pursue Christ underneath that apple tree, I want you to do this. I want you to come before that tree, that tree of the cross, daily looking up to the man who was willing, who was willing to go to this place abandoned by God so that every tree that you're under in your life you will never be alone. You, he will always be with you because He was willing to be abandoned for you. It's my prayer that you might see that afresh and might seek Him out every day. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.